Welcome back to the show, mamas. I am particularly excited to share this episode with you today. I had the good fortune of interviewing my friends Sarah Shawish and Dr. Kate Bono around their personal and professional experiences of parenting a child with extra needs. Let me tell you a little bit about my friends Sarah and Kate. Sarah Shawish is the founder and CEO of Brick Consulting. She's an adjunct professor, a lecturer, early childhood educator, and developmental specialist. Her master's degree is in human development with a focus on authenticity and relationships. Sarah has spent most of her career helping families, teachers, young adults, and children understand development in a way that allows everyone to find joy in the day-to-day. She strives to break down development in a way that makes sense and increases positive outcomes and resilience for all. Now let me tell you about my friend Kate. Kate Bono, PhD, is the founder and lead consultant for Brick Consulting. She is a developmental psychologist, professor, leader, and researcher. She received her doctorate in applied developmental psychology with a specialized training in child development, community-based intervention, and program evaluation. She has spent most of her career focused on promoting resilience in adults and children in a variety of settings. In higher education, she's mentored college students, faculty, and leaders as a professor and administrator. In her community-based work, she has been an advisor, board member, and elected leader for multiple organizations serving children and families. In 2020, she was recognized by the Orange County Child Care and Development Planning Council as Advocate of the Year. Her research and intervention work is focused on resilience in children with a special focus on the role of parent-child relationships. She has presented at national conferences and published multiple journal articles. Dr. Bono has also been a consultant and speaker for multiple community-based organizations, including Head Start, multiple school districts, and the Orange County Association for the Education of Young Children on the topics of leadership, stress, resiliency, and how to support development in children. I know that you guys are going to super enjoy this episode. So let's get ready to dive in. Here we go. Hey, mamas. You're listening to the Mom Squad Podcast, a faith-driven show for moms on the merry-go-round of motherhood. I'm Melissa Wheelahan, your host. I'm a mom, educator, entrepreneur, coach, and trainer. I have spent the last 25 years being a mom, and believe me, I have been through it all. The one constant in my journey has definitely been Jesus. So I'm on a mission to help other moms stop feeling overwhelmed, overcommitted, and all alone. I believe that when you center your motherhood journey in your identity in Christ, build community with other moms, and let go of societal norms that can get in the way, you will experience the abundant life that we are promised through Christ's grace and love. If you are ready to get unfiltered, unhinged, and unapologetically authentic, then you have come to the right place. Pull up a seat, grab a cozy blanket, and maybe even a cup of tea, because we are jumping off this merry-go-round with hearts open, hands up. Let's go. Welcome, mamas. I'm so glad that you're here today. I am joined by my good friends, Dr. Kate Bono and Sarah Shawish, and they are going to talk us through some exciting stuff today. 
I am going to have them introduce themselves and then we will launch right in. Go ahead. All right. Thanks, Melissa. Hi, everyone. So my name is Kate Bono and um, professionally, let's talk about that first. I um, am a developmental psychologist, so um, PhD in developmental psychology, and I have been working uh, at Cal State Fullerton for the last 15 years or so uh, as a professor, and now I'm serving in, in an administrative role there. And I focus generally on younger children's development, specifically on resilience and how families and communities can support the development of resilience in children. Um, and then at home, I am a mom of two boys, a 17 year old, just turned 17 year old. So he's a junior in high school and um, a 13 year old. So seventh grader. So two boys around here. And my um, 17 year old, you'll hope you will hear about today because he was diagnosed with ADHD um, in the second grade, I believe. Um, and so it's been, definitely been a journey parenting him. Um, and we will talk more about that later. Thanks, Sarah. All right. Well, I'm going to take Kate's lead and introduce myself professionally first. I am Sarah Shawish. I am a faculty and an academic advisor at Cal State Fullerton. And then I teach part-time at Fullerton College. I have spent most of my career as an early childhood educator. And so my real love is the kind of interworkings of zero to five and how that reflects in both parenting and in our adult outcomes. Um, my master's is in human development and I spent most of my kind of higher ed studies really looking at authenticity between parent and child. And so I think that's kind of my That'll be my lens kind of as we walk through some of this information is how do you honor yourself as a person while you're also navigating a parent journey. Um, my parenting journey, although short, is very meaningful. I was a foster parent um, of a little. And so I, I've got some of those real life examples now of just how isolating parenting can be. Great. I am so excited you guys are here. All my friends are getting interviewed on my podcast, but I am excited for you guys to share your expertise in this area. And I'm happy that Kate had reached out to me when she found out about my podcast. So we are going to jump right in and we're going to start with sometimes when you're a parent, I know for myself, when I was a new parent and you're always thinking, I hope my child is doing everything the right way. Are they developing the right way? And sometimes you'll go to maybe birthday parties or even the park or playgroups and you see how other children behave and you think, why isn't my child doing that? Or is my child supposed to be doing that? And we play this comparison game. And sometimes we start to think in our brain, is my child not where they are supposed to be? So talk us through a little bit as, as a parent, when you start seeing things to yourself that might pop out as, is this normal? What, what should you do and what should we be looking for? So um, definitely when you are a new parent and you start looking at uh, the development of your child over time, it's like, okay, you, there's all these milestones. And especially now with the internet, you know, people sign up for services and it tells you this is what your child should be doing. And, and even for me as a developmental psychologist, I know that there's a lot of variation around those norms, right? So babies are supposed to walk around 12 months, let's say, but we know that there's a wide variation in when that actually happens. And so it's important to know that, first of all, that even though there are milestones, your child may hit those earlier or later, and that's not necessarily problematic. Um, but if you start to notice that things are sort of really outside of those norms, um, that's definitely one of the red flags, right? So those are kind of those earlier norms where you can talk with your pediatrician and your pediatrician should be 
checking for those things at your well child visits anyway. And so especially more sort of significant delays, those things will start to be picked up on fairly, fairly um, early, I think, hopefully, um, as long as your pediatrician is doing what they're supposed to be doing. And if they're not, you need to ask them to do that. Um, but then some of the things that are a little bit more subtle sometimes take longer to figure out, right? So I know with my son, um, looking back, it's like there were definitely things that suggested that there might have been some challenges going on neurologically in terms of just his ability to sort of handle a lot of stimulation. Um, I used to joke when he was younger that he couldn't handle anything with booths. So like a carnival, something with a booth, like lots of different just choices and crowds and things like that. He would just have a lot of meltdowns and could not handle that kind of stimulation, would get really overstimulated. But I sort of thought, again, this is just him. And this is kind of in the norm of, you know, what you might, what you could expect from a child. And then as, as he got older, you know, there were definitely some challenges in preschool, but because he went to this amazing early childhood uh, center where he was, his development was supported and he had lots of choices and, you know, he really could do his own thing there. It didn't really come out at that point either. And also he's the oldest. So that's another thing is like, when you only have one child to, to look at, um, you'd start to realize you don't really, know, you don't have as much comparison, right? So then when you have a second child, which I did when my, this older son was three, then it's like, oh, wait, like he's not as difficult to deal with, you know, as a toddler and as a preschooler than my older son was. So you start to have these points of references. And then, you know, as you, again, as you sort of move through, through things, you're noticing like, what is my child doing compared to other kids? You know, how, what are the challenges that I'm having as a parent that might be, starts to feel like over and above what you would, what you see other people doing, right? So part of that is like being in community with other people so that you can have those conversations and you can start to make those, make those comparisons yourself. Um, and then, you know, as, as I, as he got older and he started to be around more kids that were sort of um, his age and, and for me, it was, he started doing Cub Scouts. So he would do Cub Scouts. And I started realizing that, yeah, none of the six-year-olds could like sit through a long meeting completely quiet, but like he had the hardest time, you know, he was the bounciest. He was the, he was the one that really um, struggled with anytime he was bored. Right. So anytime he was bored, it was like impossible to keep him still and engaged and that kind of thing. So again, it's sort of noticing like, where is this child in comparison to other kids that are his age and around him. And here's the other funny thing that I think one of the reasons why it took me a while to sort of figure out that he was having some challenges that maybe were not just age appropriate challenges was that we were around his cousins a lot. And a lot of times these things are genetically linked, right? So turns out that pretty much all of his cousins have an ADHD diagnosis. And so, and also, you know, the, my husband, some other siblings in the family, you know, so it's like, oh, wait, they're all having these troubles, but I didn't notice because the kids around him <laughs> are doing that kind of thing. So that was your normal. That, yeah, was, that your was my normal. normal. That was my point of reference. And then we got around other kids that were not related to us and we're like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> you know, um, and again, it's also partnering with, like, like I said, your pediatrician, partnering with the teachers, right? So your teachers in your kids' lives will have much more point of reference than you do, plus they're experts. And again, remember, I'm a developmental psychologist. I'm supposed to be an expert in development. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of different when it's your, your one child at home, right? So, um, yeah. 
Sarah, do you want to add to that being the teacher that you are? Yeah, I, I, I think you did a really great job in your examples of highlighting a couple of things that I would ask a parent to ask themselves. So like when they're starting to see these behaviors, I would ask them first to address, is this an opportunity issue? Is this that my child doesn't have these skills because they haven't had the opportunity to practice these skills, right? Is this that they're not walking because we're always in the car seat, right? We're always on the go. Is this because we don't have those materials in our home and so they've never had the opportunity to expose them? Um, I think the later example that you gave about being with your cousins versus going to school and being in Cub Scouts, is this a context situation, right? Is this that they're always getting a reinforcement or a model from others or from myself? Is my context maybe different? I, I think that also relates to the example you gave about the carnival. Is my child overstimulated? Is my child understimulated? Um, and then the, the last thing we would then lean on is, okay, once we've addressed opportunity and context, linking with that pediatrician, linking with that teacher, what are the developmental milestones? Do I know what age appropriate is right now? And then I can start, once you find a baseline, then you can start to kind of do that comparison work that Kate's talking about. Great, thank you. So when we think about that, now we've kind of, as a parent, been like, I think there's something going on. I've talked to my pediatrician. I've kind of asked the teacher, because you're right. The teacher spends the majority of the children, more of the day, majority of the day with your child. Um, how do you connect to other communities and how do you make sure that you have the partnership with the schools? Yeah, so it's, it's going to look different when you are in, like when they're young and you're in in an early childhood um, education center where, you know, the ratio is much lower and hopefully those teachers have been really trained on development and they're looking at sort of the whole child and, and really you can partner with them more directly, right? So there's more interaction. Um, and so I would say really take advantage of that, especially while they're young and especially while, you know, you have those opportunities with early brain development to try to sort of intervene the best way that you can, especially if your child is struggling in a particular area. So it's just a lot of conversation about sort of what the struggles are at home versus what the struggles are at school. And I think, you know, one of the things you'll notice as a parent is that those struggles look very different, right? So it's like, they may be doing something at school that you don't see them doing at home and probably more likely you're seeing it at home and they're not doing it at school. So then it's sort of trying to figure out what are the supports at home that maybe I could add. And so your teachers are a really good source for that, right? So talking to them about, well, how does, how does he react in the transition at school? He's doing better with that, you know, moving from one activity to another. At home, he's really struggling with that. So what are they doing at school that I could maybe mirror at home to support that, right? And then I think as they get older, it becomes harder and harder. You know, as they get older, um, a lot of times we see that teachers maybe um, sometimes don't have all the tools around development. Um, you're going to have to reach out probably more on your own like I said, talking to your pediatrician and then talking to, you know, we ended up uh, meeting with a, with a therapist um, because we had um, really been struggling with supporting him at home. So this is before we found out about the ADHD diagnosis. I was just sort of thinking like, it's really about emotions and he's really struggling. And so like, I knew all kinds of stuff about emotion coaching and I would do that. And then he would still get stuck in a negative emotion. Like for example, when he was six or seven, we went to Disneyland one day and um, those of you who've gone on star tours, you know, that star tours at Disneyland changes their episodes, right? So it's like different 
it's a different video depending on when you go it's random and one time he didn't get the video that he wanted and he was upset for like three or four hours at Disneyland because of that he just gets stuck in that right so we went to a therapist there was a conversation with a therapist so you know it's reaching out it's like using your resources available. Most people have mental health coverage through their insurance. So going beyond the pediatrician and really talking to somebody who has more sort of developmental mental health um, background can be really helpful. And then really working with the school and, and trying to figure out like, does this teacher get it? Does this teacher get this, this child's struggles? And, and then, you know, sometimes you have to push a little bit with certain things, you know, you've got to really be an advocate for your child You've got to um, make sure that you have those supports in place at school too. So, so that might mean getting if your child has special needs that have been diagnosed. That means partnering with the school on an IEP. So individualized education plan or a 504, which is sort of a milder version of an IEP so that they can get those, those supports in place at school. And sometimes there's resistance. So it's great when things work out and the teacher's on the same page and you can partner you know, sometimes like, for example, I had a hard time getting uh, my son on a 504 plan when he was in elementary school because they were like, well, his academics are fine. Okay. But he loses his mind when he goes on to recess. Mm-hmm. Right. So anyway, so it's really being that advocate and then, you know, being careful with things like, you know, they teacher stu- schools sometimes do some of these things like take away recess from kids when they misbehave or they don't turn their homework in. Right. And this is like the absolute worst thing you can do for a child with ADHD any child really, but really, so it's really being mindful of that and, and working with them on those things. A, a follow-up question for you, Kate, how yeah. have you, cause now your son is a junior in high school. So what has been like thinking back the one best strategy, which I know we're gonna talk about strategies at the end, but like one best strategy for transitioning him from elementary school to junior high to high school. I'm still trying to figure that out. No, <laughs> Um, and well, actually I'm kidding and not kidding because it, because it changes so much as they get older, which is what I think you're alluding to, right. That, you know, and so like, for example, in in elementary school, he did fine academically, but then in middle school, when things started to depend on his ability to keep things organized and keep on top of his own assignments and that kind of thing, things became more challenging. Mm -hmm. And so I think this is going to sound maybe counterintuitive, but the best strategy is changing strategies. (laughs) so you know trying to figure out like when they're younger and they're in middle school maybe like really getting involved in helping them manage that a lot more and then as they feel as they're getting older because you also want to foster a sense of independence Mm -hmm. kind of pulling back a little bit and trying to figure that out but school has been the biggest challenge I mean and it's and we're not through it Mm -hmm. so um you know especially with COVID interruptions Mm -hmm. and sort of that getting in the way of school school progress but I would say just being really open to working with your kid and trying to figure out like what, what are their specific challenges and then helping to try to support them through those either through structure or, um, you know, enforcing consequences for not getting things done consequences that look like, you know, you've got to do the work first before you can have fun kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, but it's, it's, it's constantly changing those things because as soon as you figure out something that works, they get older, the challenges shift and you have to change it up. So knowing that that's part of the journey too, is really important. So being a flexible parent, being a flexible parent. Yep. Awesome. Sarah, are you going to add to this question? 
You know, my expertise in this is really from the school side. And I think that the important thing to remember as a parent is that it doesn't take one professional. Myself as an early childhood educator, your pediatrician as a medical professional, that's a partnership, right? As Kate alluded to earlier, pediatricians are really to keep your child medically safe. And so sometimes you have to go looking for that developmental partnership. And then you get to that developmental partnership. And I say things like my expertise is normative development, and we need a partner to explain these other behaviors. And so it really is about building a team of professionals that can support you and your child. One of the things I think we're probably going to slide into in some of our other content is that when you have a child that has atypical behaviors, sometimes you and your other children get lost in that shuffle. And I think from a brick lens, from our, you know, our work at in resilience is you have to find strategies for yourself and your child, right? We, you've got to find a strategy to keep yourself balanced as you deal with the strategies to keep your child balanced. Um, and so from the school lens, I think from my lens, it's really about finding rambling. Um, but as Kate was saying, building a partnership with other professionals that are going to help support you and your child. Yeah, that's so important to, you have to also, like, like Kate said, your strategy might not always be your strategy and you have to just be okay with this is what's going to happen. And I think, especially we know early detection is better. So if you can create those partnerships really early on, that's going to be a little bit better situation for the child because you get that early intervention piece with the pediatrician and whatever resources your school has, your preschool has. I think also, Melissa, if I could just add to the sort of also like realizing that with, with developmental challenges like this, whether it's autism or it's ADHD or, you know, other, other sort of related developmental um, challenges, you're not going to cure this. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think we think as parents sometimes like, okay, if I just, I'm okay, I'm going to get my kid in martial arts, which I did. I'm going to get my kid, you know, evaluated by a, by a, a child psychiatrist so that we can get medication, which I did, you know, all of these strategies in place and those things are going to help, but it's not going to get, it's not going to be cured. This mm-hmm. is going to be a challenge for you throughout your parenting journey and probably for your child throughout their life's journey. Mm-hmm. And there are some wonderful strengths that come along with some of these diagnoses, but the challenges are going to remain. So yeah. um, I think, you know, and knowing like done, not taking it on, like, this is something I have to remind myself, like, this is not my fault. Mm-hmm. You know, he, the fact that he's having these continued challenges are not my fault. And, um, you know, just trying to, trying to keep that in mind as you, as you move through the journey. Yeah. Great, great advice. Okay. So as we think about that, and that's a great segue into talking about strategies, what are some of the strategies for parents that you guys would suggest? I think number one is to connect. We talked about connecting with professionals. We know that not every early childhood, every child in young childhood goes to school. So if you're one of those families whose child is not in school and that's not your model, connect with other parents, get on play dates, find mommy and me classes, start giving yourself not only a support group, but then that comparison point that Kate talked about where you're seeing other children, you're seeing your child interact with them. I think that would probably be the top strategy from our conversation. Kate, do you have something to add to that? Yeah, I was going to say that it's the connection is so important to other people that are going through parenting because it's it, whether your child has some atypical development or not, it's a, it's a hard journey. It's hard. It's really hard. 
right? Um, I think my job is pretty challenging, but it's nothing on the role of being a parent over, a, you know, over your, your kid's entire sort of childhood and adolescence. And so that social support is invaluable. And also just being willing to be vulnerable and open about your struggles, about what's going on with your child. I think, you know, sometimes, especially as they get older, you have this like competitiveness of like, what classes are they taking? What's their GPA? Where are they going to go to college? You know, that sorts, you have to sort of like be willing to be open about the challenging parts, not just the successes, because otherwise you're going to be in isolation with those challenges. And something that's been really helpful for me is connecting with people that have children with similar challenges, but the kids are older. So they're kind of ahead of you in the journey, you know, and you can be like, how did you get through this? And what was the outcome? And you start to learn that even though children, kids paths sometimes look very different and sometimes they're very challenging, like usually they're okay in the end, you know, <laughs> but it's hard to know that when you're sort of in it for the first time, Alyssa, you can probably relate to that, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. You had talked a lot about, um, you had talked a little bit about like helping children also be independent because as they grow, you need to have that independence. And I, I want one of you guys to speak about when you're the parent that feels you need to control all of it. Like, how do you help yourself not control all of it? Because as a parent, we also want to protect our children, right? And we don't want them to be labeled. And I think that's a really big thing for parents. So how do you help protect your child, but also allow the child to be the child? And then how do you have this lens of like, it's just going to be okay. No, they're going to get out of it. Like, it seems like such a daunting task, but like help a mom out. What can you say? Well, this is the challenge, right? And also you, you get mixed messages constantly from the world about that. So they should be independent, but make sure they're successful. And I mean, even teachers like high school teachers will be like, well, they they should be responsible, but then they're asking you, well, didn't you notice the missing assignments? Why don't you make them do it? You know? So it's like, I don't know. I don't know what to do here. Right. Um, and it's, and for me, I think it's a, from my, from my own experiences as a kid, I had a, a fairly strict upbringing that was um, more controlling than I wanted to be as a, as a parent. And so then it becomes really difficult because, you know, it's like, I don't want to be that parent, but I don't know really where the line is. Mm-hmm. And that for me has been the biggest challenge as a parent is sort of that line between, you know, trying to be the, the parent that provides the structure and the boundaries and all of that, with also the love and support and how to balance that. Right. So, um, there's no easy answers. I wish I could help a mama out and, uh, you know, give <laughs> easy answers to this. I think it's a constant self reminder about not being able to control the outcome of things. Um, for people that have a faith perspective, it, that helps mm-hmm. right? just sort of, um, lifting stuff up in prayer and then trying to let it go. Mm-hmm. because you can't control it, you know, and, and, and also, by the way, having a child that has some challenges, that'll teach you that you're not in control. Mm-hmm. And we think we are in control. I also have a really good, I have a good rec- book recommendation related to this. Um, a woman named Alison Gopnik uh, wrote a book about um, the carpenter and the gardener. And uh, she's a developmental psychologist, but this is a really a sort of an easy not an academic book, um, but it has a lot of research in it. And she's, her point is, is that we think as parents, we are carpenters, like we get these raw materials and then we make it into whatever we want, but really we are the research. There's nothing in the research to support that view of parenting. Mm -hmm. Really. We are the gardener. 
So we try to provide an, a rich soil and an environment, but like we're not in charge of how much sun there was or how much rain there was. And mm. also the genetic material of the seeds, we don't get to control all that. And so our job is to, tr to try to provide the best environment for, for the children that we have and help support their, their, their journey. It's by the way, it's theirs. It's not ours. Mm -hmm. We are in charge of our own lives and not in not necessarily their outcomes. And just that reminder of, okay, I'm going to do my best to provide the best environment for this child. And I can't control everything I can. And you can try, but you won't do it. You know, mm -hmm. <laughs> you won't be able to, it's just mm -hmm. not possible. Um, oh my God, that is so good. I'm going to link that book in the show notes. Yeah, the book is, is so good. Such, yeah. That is such a, yeah, that's just, that's awesome. Yeah, to think about it, just like that is so eye opening to me. Yeah, we are not the carpenter, we are the gardener. Yeah. I mean, and it's stuff like even for, for all parents of like, you don't get to decide what the career of your child is going to be. You don't get to decide what their interests are going to be. It's just, you're not in charge of that. That is their decision and that's their journey. And your job is to, help them on their, whatever their path is. Your job is not to control the path. Right. Sarah, you want to add? Yeah. I laughed when you asked that question because I identify as a control freak. And then when you become a two-year-old teacher and you have 12 twos against you, you can't control. I mean, you just have to let go of something, right? <laughs> and so what I found early on in that journey is that I had to ask myself over and over and over again, is this about power over another person or about helping this little one build a new skill? And so if it was about helping them build a new skill, I like went to go look for new strategies and I tried new things. And if it was about me just needing power, I let it go. And so I really, Kate does, Kate highlights this in all of the things that I've heard Kate talk about. She highlights really well um, that as parents and as educators, we need to build skills outside of the moment that we need the skills. Mm -hmm. So we need to practice things. And so that like question asking isn't something I'm going to do when I'm trying to navigate a behavior. So I had to be reflective outside of the moments where I was needing control the most and say like, okay, my day in the classroom or my day with this child that I spent all day with, was that about power or are, is there a new skill here for one of us? Um, and so I think reflection and, and that's probably a, a second strategy is setting up time, setting up like a routine in your, in your life that allows you to reflect on the struggles that, and, you know, as Kate mentioned it, whether that's in prayer or that's in self-care, finding a sustainable, sometimes we use self-care to be like, I got my nails done. I got a massage, but self-care is also sustainable things that help us with well-being. And when you're dealing with a constant parent child struggle, you need that built into everyday life. Yeah. So good. This is so good. I could talk to you guys for hours. This is so fun. And I know you like we're friends and I, we've never had these conversations and this is so exciting. Okay. As we wrap up, I want to ask you if there's one last closing thought that has come to mind for you. So Kate, I'll start with you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the concepts in um, Christianity that relates so much to, to this question, I think is, is just the concept of grace, right? So, I mean, it's my favorite part of Christianity. I think it's probably most people's favorite part of Christianity, right? So it's just unending grace. And I think that's, you got to keep that in mind through this journey of being a parent and, and in particular a parent of a child with some challenges. So grace for them, they're not trying to make you upset. They're not trying to you know, do things the wrong way. They're trying to learn. They're, 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 you know, they have their own struggles, but they're trying to learn. So grace for them, grace for yourself that you're not going to get it right all the time. You're going to struggle with things. You're going to 
yell when you didn't want to yell because you're frustrated and you're human. Um, and just sort of keeping that in mind um, as you move through this. Great, thank you. Sarah. I'm having lots of thoughts, but what's really coming to mind is um, right when I started my fostering journey, I had this little one in my care and a good friend of mine says, hey, nobody ever warns new parents how isolating this experience is. And I'm like, what do you mean? I live alone. And now I have this baby here. There's nothing isolating. I have more connection. And then about three days in, we ended up in the hospital and I have never felt more isolated in my life. And so really it was like, oh, from a practitioner lens, like, let me take off this. I'm in this new experience from the practitioner lens. I was like, I have to tell parents to connect more. I have to like, that was a piece of my practice I was missing. So really for me, what comes out of this is connect. When you're with a child that has either atypical behaviors or something medical going on, seek connection. When people ask you to help, take them up on it. Uh, just finding finding that, that partnership and whether that's your parenting partner or a close friend or family, connection is so important to these type of experiences. Yeah, so good. So I know that in the intro, I mentioned that you guys have Brick Consulting. So I'm wondering if you can just really quickly tell our podcast listeners how, what kind of, what types of services you offer through Brick Consulting and how they can best reach you. Yeah, Brick Consulting really formed Kate and myself and our partner, Melanie. Um, we're all working on different sections of the parenting journey. I was working with young children. Kate and Melanie were working on stress and resilience with young families. And so it just kind of turned into this way that we could support families on an individual level. I think for the average mama, probably the service that would be most used is our one-on-one -on -one coaching and just jumping on a Zoom call. And that's not to diagnose or to work on your child, but to work on you as a person, as a human and your parenting journey. And so that's kind of the majority of our service. We're also working with school districts and community partners to do some of that same work. And the best way to get a hold of us, we have Instagram, but I am horrible at posting. So you can contact us on Instagram or Facebook, um, but also at our email address, which is info at brickconsultinggroup.org. Awesome. Thank you so much, you two, for carving out time to connect with me today. And for all of our listeners out there, if you want to connect with Kate and Sarah, please just go to the show notes where I've linked their website their Facebook page and Instagram, and you can connect with them. I hope that this episode blessed you. Have a great day. Hey, mamas, did you love that episode? If so, the number one way you can thank me is to leave a written review on Apple Podcast. I love hearing about what resonated with you and how you're going to show up in the world as a God-centered mom. Also, don't forget to subscribe to the Mom Squad and join our Mom Squad Facebook group linked in the show notes. Lastly, feel free to share this episode with other moms who need to hear this message. And don't forget to tag me on your social media platforms at melissa.wheelahan. Till next time, God bless.